Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's up? What's up? Welcome in GC Live Wednesday edition of the show. I'm Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. Welcome in back to our th- this is our comfortable time. I feel like two o'clock in the afternoon. This is the time we did the show every afternoon during the football season. Locking in at two o'clock today to talk a little bit about South Carolina's newest commitment, and then we'll sort of go into the class as a whole. Now that I think you can sort of officially call the class of 2021 complete. Uh, but first, I uh, want to let everybody know that we are brought to you by our good friend, Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. He is the branch manager of the Mortgage Network here in Columbia, South Carolina. Check Clint out, clinthammond.com, or go to or give him a call, 803-771-6933, or you can just shoot Clint an email. That is chammond, C-H-A-M-M-O-N-D, at mortgagenetwork.com, or again, 803-771-6933. Clint will get you hooked up with a low interest rate mortgage. Never a better time as far as the interest rates go um, than now to buy a house or even refinance your current house. So glad to be on. Shout out to everybody that's already in the chat. Shout out to everybody watching YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and of course, on all the major podcast platforms. If you're not a subscriber yet, please subscribe to the show. We are daily during the football season, and generally we've been aiming for three times a week during the offseason. Um, already a busy day in Gamecock Nation. Uh, Chris has been too busy to get his background fixed, but I got a feeling that next week will be the time we get our first look. Is that safe to say, our first look at the Chris Clark background? Ooh, I don't you're, – you're overpromising maybe a little bit there. But uh, my, my hope is that there will be some level of progress. I did take a look at this, a couple different little configurations today, but I still don't know, man. I, I still there, – there are some obstacles, one of them being time, another being space. So we're just going to keep working through it and see what we can do, man. Yeah, it, it's a tough decision, man. It, it really is. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get there, though. I have faith that we're going to get there. Um, South Carolina today adding a commitment from Assumption grad transfer defensive back Carlin Splatel. Um, I I did already receive a text from uh, from our buddy Mike Yuva. He said he is watching the show and wearing his Assumption shirt. So uh, nobody happier. May, I mean, surely the the coaching staff 
is I'm sure excited, but maybe nobody else is more excited um, to have an assumption guy come to South Carolina um, than Mike and Chris. Uh, so South Carolina closes out this this class, and I, I think you can officially say the 2021 class is closed out because as far as kind of the guys that are counted towards this recruiting class, there, there's no room left. Now, we, we know there's sort of technicalities in how all this works. You have four guys that were already on the football team this past season that are technically counting towards 2021. You have, um, obviously, uh, you know, some guys that are already on campus right now that are transfers that are counting towards 2021. Your general traditional uh, recruiting class that's counting towards 2021. And now Carlin's Platel, who will actually graduate in May and then arrive at South Carolina probably shortly thereafter that, that will count toward 2021 as well. So basically what that means is that anybody from this point forward would be someone South Carolina would in theory have to bring in, I guess, in August and and count forward, much like we saw them do with Jalen Brooks and count him forward from last year to this year. So um, the you can sort of put a bow on, on this recruiting class, and uh, we do that today with Carlin Spatel. This is a kid, those of you who – watched or listened to the show yesterday we already talked quite a bit about him and and what his recruitment um you know has sort of been about and what his skill set is but with his commitment today him choosing south carolina over coastal carolina and mississippi state we're of course going to go back into him a little bit and uh, chris someone that again south carolina knew that they needed to continue to sort of fortify their secondary I think they knew they they needed to continue to add size. And, you know, I I think this is a situation where, yes, he does only have one year to play, but he's a big kid. He's got some length. Uh, He can make plays on the ball. He has seven interceptions, I believe, in his three years there at Assumption. So he's made some plays and, um, you know, wants to try to jump and and make that transition to SEC ball. And I, I think, if you're South Carolina, you I believe you use the word resourceful. You've got to be resourceful at this point in this rebuild process. You got to try to find players, um, you know, maybe at at un, you know places you don't traditionally go. So I'll, I'm you know I'm curious to see this kid get in and and see him transition to the SEC level. Yeah, and again, broken record alert. You know, atypical recruiting cycle, atypical situation for Shane Beamer and the coaching staff. And so resourceful, I think, is is the exact right word. Um, you know, it, it's not, I was going to say it's not often, but it's not ever that you're going to see South Carolina bring in a class that now has eight transfers. So a third of the class basically is going to be the transfer route. Um, you're not going to see that. Will South Carolina hit the transfer portal every year for a guy or two? Possibly, maybe sometimes it's zero, maybe sometimes it's one, maybe sometimes it's two. This year it's eight. And so part of that is because this has been a weird year. Well, she went into that in detail yesterday, the inability to go out on the road and do evals, the inability to see guys in camp this past season, a new coaching staff who's stepping in, um, you know, and on top of that, you know, you've got the transfer portal that's really hopping and you've also got on top of that, the the need for some guys who can step in and play immediately. And so it makes sense where you, you mind the transfer portal, you look for some guys with some proven experience, even if it's a level or two down, and you try to bring those guys in to plug some holes 
for a while as opposed to bringing in a class of 25 high school guys or it wouldn't be 25 it'd be you know smaller than that because of the four they had to count back but the point is might be reaching on some of those guys and so uh, this is how South Carolina's filled out the class sort of a hybrid model and Carlin's Patel someone that you're right Wes we, we went into in a lot more detail yesterday but someone that you look at defensive back South Carolina needs some bodies and, and when I say that I don't mean it in a negative way but they're down in terms of numbers right so they need some guys who can come in give them some depth compete not sure yet without this kid being on campus seeing how he stacks up against other guys on the roster you know how is he going to measure up we'll have to see but just looking at him on film he has some ability um, actually got a, a scout, an NFL scout type that I know yesterday to take a look at him too and thought that, you know, he had the ability to play and, and has potential to go be at least like a tryout or undrafted free agent level type guy right now and, and could obviously improve on that. So clearly there's some ability here with Carlin Spatel, like you said, Wes, some link, ability to run, ability to cover, willing tackler. And uh, I think someone who's a welcome addition because South Carolina needs more depth at this defensive back position, some guys with experience. You know, Chris, he's, he's clearly played just looking at this film. and This is his career film um, there on huddle. Clearly played a lot of cornerback. And, you know, we, we look and I, I don't know if we have a great feel yet what the Clayton White defensive scheme is going to be. You know, we can look back – at Western Kentucky, we can talk about what he did there, and that probably gives us a decent idea of what he wants to do here at South Carolina eventually. Now, what he does this year and, you know, the first couple of years is going to obviously be very uh, determined by the, the talent on this team and the skill set of the players on this team. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like. Um, he did play a lot of man coverage, I, I feel like, at Western. He did, um, you know, have some aggress aggressiveness to his scheme. And, you know, I think this is a kid when, you know, if you look at – you look back when Shane Beamer was talking about South Carolina signing uh, Ladarian Craig and the need to have size on the edges, you know, the need to have these guys. You know, you look at this kid just from the film, you can see not only is he six foot two, but he has long arms, um, can turn and run, uh, can defend the football down the field. Um, obviously, we all know there's going to be a step up and the level of athlete that he's going to be covering on the outside in SEC ball. I think, you know, can can he stick with these guys on the top end um, when teams try to stretch the field vertically against South Carolina? It's probably the, the biggest question mark you're going to have. But I, I think looking at South Carolina's needs, Chris, and just watching the skill set, the, especially the fact that the kid – is very physical. He's not one of these cornerbacks that's scared to put his nose in there. He's not one of these cornerbacks that doesn't want to get physical on the outside. And I think you look at him and I see a guy who maybe from a versatile standpoint, isn't necessarily just a, a guy that has to be a corner. You know, I, I think we, we know South Carolina needs help at, at multiple positions in the secondary we're still going to we're still learning exactly what that sort of nickelback type spot is going to be as far as the skill set they look for in the 425 i'm not so sure this isn't someone that gets here maybe he's a corner maybe he's a nickel maybe he's a safety um 
could potentially play, I think, any number of positions within this scheme once he gets to South Carolina. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, from a from a size standpoint, he could probably do any of it. And, um, you know, it looks like his forte sort of on film is that, you know, an assumption. It looks like they're playing a lot of man coverage here just on his tape. So, obviously, that's something that he has experience with, a comfort level with, which, which is a positive. Uh, there are going to be times in which, you know, at this level, and in Clayton White's scheme, without knowing what percentage he's going to play and things like that, you're going to have to go cover a guy. Um, and so you're right. It is w- with that big of a jump, you know, an experience. Now, same thing with, you know, a high school DB walking in, trying to go cover people in the SEC. Same, same type of deal. But there, it is a question, a legitimate question of, you know, that competition step up. But he's someone that can move, can cover. Um, he's willing and physical, you know, in terms of the run game. But he does look like he could. He has that skill set, West, to where you know maybe he can play nickel, maybe he could play safety if they needed him to, and certainly could play corner. And really, they need some help and some depth at all those spots. I think, in particular, when you look at at nickel, you know who does South Carolina slot there? Is is it an R.J. Roger who's back with the team, or is he more of a safety? Or you know, I, I think there's certainly questions at all those spots, but just where certain guys are going to slot short and long term. Um, those are the types of things we're going to be tracking in the spring and, and into the preseason. Yeah, no doubt, man. And I, I think there's going to be, to, to me, there's going to potentially be a lot of moving guys around until you find sort of that, that you know, that that top five grouping, right? I mean, there there's so many guys that are gone. There's so many guys that um, basically are, I would say, newcomers that we don't know exactly what to expect from. Um, from from all different backgrounds, you know, you have this is a kid that is a true graduate transfer. You know, he he's played three years. He's a senior coming in. He's got one year of eligibility left. Uh, you go down the list. You have a kid like David Spalding who comes in from Georgia Southern and actually is still very young as far as his career goes. Even though he's a college guy, has played a little bit, has a couple of years under his belt. One in which he redshirted. Um, you know, he comes in from that transfer market. You have Isaiah Norris who comes in as a uh, a guy that's a, a JUCO. So, you know, I, I think then you you sort of go on down the line. You have, again, uh, Ladarian Craig as someone that comes in as a high school player. And you, you're going to have a lot of new options, and you're going to have guys from multiple different backgrounds. Now, how do you fit them all in? What, what does it look like once you start to slot guys at different spots? What do you what do you feel good about as far as what you have coming back? I think Cam Smith is going to be, I would imagine, challenged to take a huge step this year to be not just a guy that plays, but to be a, a dude in this secondary and that that locks down guys. Um, how how is this secondary structured from a scheme standpoint? Is it you know are, are we going back to the days of um, field corner and boundary corner? Or are we you know, how, how are you actually structuring your defense as far as who slots where? Um, that's a question we don't really have, you know, an, an answer to yet. So um, for, for him, though, for anybody that's coming in new within this secondary, there is an opportunity here, I think. You know, that's that's the thing. If you're, if you're Carlin's Platel, you're seeing – hey, I've got a chance, I've got an opportunity to come into this SEC program and I'm going to have every chance to come in and, and play 
Um, I, I do think one thing you sort of see, one thing, one trend I've noticed, the stuff I've read up on the kid, a consistent thing that has been mentioned is that he is a hard worker. He's someone that's worked extremely hard to get to the point he's at right now and to give himself this SEC opportunity. Um, had an earlier offer from Coastal. Then, of course, South Carolina, Mississippi State both hop in. Clearly, the Gamecocks and those two programs saw something they really, really liked. And I uh, I think he'll, he'll have every chance in the world to come in and, and take advantage of it. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what I said earlier, man. I mean, you know, and being resourceful and recruiting in this weird cycle and this in this time where there's roster turnover and roster questions at certain spots, DB is one of the prime positions that we pointed to for that, right? And so, you know, you you look at South Carolina, for instance, you know, the safety position. You know, R.J. Roderick's back. Jalen Foster, former walk-on, played a good bit last year. Jalen Dickerson is also back there and was healthy last season, but up until last season really had not been. And those are sort of the guys you eyeball there. At corner, you know, you lose Horn and McQuamu. Um, You lose a Jamie Robinson who could play safety and nickel there. But you've got, you know, you lose Johnny Dixon, who's a really good player, I think, for South Carolina. So, You've got Smith there who you're counting on to take a step up. But behind him, you know, you're looking at Joey Hunter and Dominic Hill who haven't played a lot. And and Darius Rush who has some ability but hasn't gotten a ton of playing time at actual corner so far. You know, Marcellus Dial, Isaiah Norris, two guys from the class of Juco transfers. You know, Ladarian Craig who you mentioned earlier. So there's a lot of guys. There are some some names there. There are some players there. But there's a there's a big question in terms of experience, right? I mean, losing J.C. Horn, one of the best corners in the country, um, that's big no matter what, no matter who's behind him. But when you lose him, then you lose McQuamu Moon Dixon. Then you lose Jamie Robinson on the back end. Um, it just creates a lot of questions for you. And so w- with those questions, it creates opportunities for others. And so how it's going to shake out, how well it's going to shake out. These are all legitimate questions, but South Carolina needed to bring in some help there. And so they've done that in some different ways. One's the transfer route with Patel, with David Spalding, Georgia Southern. Then you look at two Juco guys, Isaiah Norris, who I like a lot, Marcellus Dial, and then obviously Ladarian Craig from the high school ranks, along with some guys on the roster who they're counting on to step up as well. Yeah, and so I think, Chris, you look now at this – this class is complete, as you said, um, eight of the 25 slots to transfers. That probably won't happen again, not not anytime soon anyway. Uh, but I, I think, you know, if you go back and look, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to update my tracking the transfers article that I've been running uh, pretty much every time South Carolina gets a new transfer. But uh, the Gamecocks, while bringing in eight, actually lost in the time since Shane Beamer took over as coach. Nine transfers this offseason. Um, you know, I, I think you you look back and um, and now that I'm looking at that, I have Micaiah Scott on here. I don't know if he necessarily should have been counted as bef- as after Beamer took over. But point being, since you know, since this offseason and right towards the end of the year, you you lose nine to transfer. And then eight come back in. So, um, you know, I, I think, as we've said, that that was kind of – it was a weird situation this year. More kids are transferring than ever. 
and one thing you're going to sort of have with the transfer portal. And, you know, I, I think you, you look and the transfer portal is here to stay. So I'll be curious to see how, I, I mean, safe to say that number's going down, but how, how often are transfers still going to be a part of this process moving forward? Because sometimes it's going to depend on that same thing. How many guys do you lose? How many guys do you feel like you're having to replace potential upperclassmen production with another, you know, upperclassmen from a, from another place? So I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how big of a factor the portal is um, in the classes moving forward, and it'll be interesting to see how much the portal sort of almost um, maybe reverts back or, or sort of regresses to the mean because. How many kids are in the portal right now that had a had all these thoughts in their head of, oh, I'm going to hit the portal and I'm going to go to this major school. And then they got in the portal and they're stuck there right now. So, so while the portal is massive right now, how quickly is it able to sort of come on back down to earth, basically? And it's going to be hard for these coaches to manage that too, because look, look, even if you're a tremendous program, i.e., winning, and you've got a great culture around your program, you're still going to have guys transfer. You're still going to have guys leave. So now, what you're doing is you're taking, um, you know, a quarterback transferring because he wants to see the field, or, or a guy transferring because he wants to get closer to home, or maybe a guy leaving for the NFL earlier than maybe you anticipated as a coaching staff. Those are things that transfer portal is good for because then you can go pluck a guy or two here and there, maybe every cycle, maybe every other cycle on average, and you can plug those holes. But now with with sort of this activity level of the portal, is it going to increase? Is this going to be the new norm with kids leaving? And I, I look at Oklahoma as an example. Oklahoma wins. They're very consistent winners. Uh, all accounts are they have a really good culture. Lee and Riley, they had a bunch of kids hit the portal this offseason. Kids that played a lot. You know, Charleston Rambo, Bookie Hadley-Riles. I mean, a lot of kids who played for Oklahoma hit the portal probably for various reasons. And did they anticipate all those? Probably not, right? And so now that puts you in a spot of how, how do you cope with that? How do you handle that? I think on one hand, you say, well, as long as kids are going to leave for those reasons already laid out, maybe it's a guy that wants to play a little bit more, get closer to home, whatever it may be. And so the easy answer is, well, win, um, try to play, try to play guys as much as you can in terms of rotating and whatnot, as long as it's good for the team and have a really good culture, a place where people want to be. Yes, that can help, but that doesn't automatically mean that you're immune to the whole transfer portal thing. So it is just another part of roster management that, that, you know, could be more and more difficult, you know, going into the future for these college coaches and for kids, because like you said, Wes, some of them go in it with expectations and then they don't get exactly what they want. Yeah, no doubt, man. So, so we'll see. Um, as I said, the, the class now complete and Chris, I, I'll be curious to see what what's next for, for this recruiting class as far as, now, do you do you get creative? Is there a guy or two out there? Um, and and I, I think this is a, a question we don't or we can't answer yet because, you know, I, I think for one, we, um, we, we don't know who's going to be in the portal 
post-spring. Two, we don't yet quite know what Beamer's personal thoughts are on how you sort of, I guess, want to manage things. Does, does he sort of say, hey, I, I'm, I'm tired of having to count guys forward and, and having them sort of cut off my, my next recruiting class before it gets started? Or, you know, or is he sitting there saying, hey, if, if a guy or two can come in and help, let, let's do anything we can to get him onto this year's roster. I tend to think at this point, Chris, they maybe do get creative with a guy or two if it makes sense, if it's someone who projects to make like a real impact. You know, if it's an impact position, um, still a position of need, the roster isn't really at that point where you could turn away a guy, even if you had to count him forward, you know, that you could turn away a guy if you felt like he could really um, help this team next year. Yeah, I, I tend to think that's where things are going to be at, West, to where they're not sitting around right now, now going, all right, guys, we need to find a way to squeeze in five more guys by any means necessary just to add more guys. Um, it's going to be assess where things are in the spring, and that could mean – having more defections of your own because those aren't things you can really measure. There, there could be some of those. We don't know of any for sure, but there could be some. And um, maybe you need to do some more replacing there. Or it could be a situation where, hey, so-and-so popped up in the portal. That might be a guy that we got a good shot at. Well, let's go get him. That that might be the conversation as well. So it's probably in, in sort of in the middle there where you're just keeping an eye on things, keeping an open mind. The class, like you said, is full. So you do have to get creative. But at the same time, you don't want to hamstring yourself in the 2022 class. That, I get the impression, Wes, that's a class in which South Carolina really wants to push to get more and more high school talent, right? Certainly. And you're not, again, you're not going to ha have eight transfers again. I don't think you're – I would guess you're not even going to have five or so. I could be wrong on that. But I think it's probably going to be a lower number next year, certainly. And so – then you're mining the high school ranks more. You want to give yourself more flexibility in your class. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what direction that goes. And um, some interesting discussion going on in the chat right now about, uh, you know, about about the kid. And I'll tell, I mean, here's the thing, y'all. We'll, we'll, we'll all find out in, you know, what, six, seven months. We're, we're all going to find out. Um, you know, I, I think – it is both it is both fair to say yes you're not going to build an entire program off of transfers uh, you know from, from division 2 it's also very fair to say there are kids playing all over the country at fcs level at group of 5 level at division 2 level wherever that could have played power 5 football and can help a power 5 football program as Chris said, you got to be resourceful at this point. We'll see. The kid has a skill set. He has, um, you know, like Chris said, a scout said the guy has some NFL tryout potential. Um, the length is there. The physicality is there. He can help this football team. Now, how, how much, how quickly – how, you know, is he a day one starter? Is he a reserve that plays special teams? Who knows? No, Nobody, including us, probably even the coaches, nobody can answer that right now. We will all find out what happens. 
the kid does have talent though. He does have some ability and he does have some size. So, so we'll all find out what, what happens. If you're South Carolina, again, you had to add players in the secondary because there is a massive need. Chris went through all the guys they, they missed out on all the guys they lost from this last year. Thing is, Chris, as weird as it is to say, I, I actually think that Johnny Dixon is the biggest loss out of all those guys because we knew there was a good chance J.C. Horn was in his final year. We knew there was a decent chance Izzy was in his final year. Um, having another guy at corner who had now played some, who had years left, who was starting to come into his own, and that was already starting. Losing a guy like that to me was far more painful for South Carolina than losing the two, you know, the two more star type guys that you already sort of had factored in that they'd probably be gone. Yeah, I agree. I think that one's a tough one to swallow for South Carolina, particularly because, um, you know, I, I'm sure that staff would have liked a chance to sort of get Johnny Dixon acclimated, you know, to see. How he how he liked the new staff, et cetera, et cetera, and didn't get that chance. But um, he he made the move up to Penn State. That was a program that he had familiarity with, had visited during the recruiting process. They were heavily involved with Johnny Dixon during the recruiting process. So from that standpoint, it made sense too. But you're right, just from a planning perspective, knowing that you were going to lose J.C. Horn, that you were probably going to lose Izzy, and eventually knew you were going to lose Izzy. Then what what you thought, what you're thinking, if you're Shane Beamer. Uh, coming in is okay you know th- those two you chalk those up as losses but you sort of have in your back pocket the the potential of having the duo of Kim Smith and Johnny Dixon out there now you don't and and Dixon obviously has even more experience played played some as a freshman started his first game as a true freshman you know uh, in year one in 2019 and then played plenty last season too so that is a tougher loss that makes it a little bit more difficult when you're trying to structure things. And I'm, I'm certain went into some of these decisions in terms of what they needed to bring in, um, in the junior college route and on the transfer market. No doubt, man. So um, now South Carolina turns the, turns the page a little bit. We had a question on here. I'm trying to hit a couple of the questions. If we miss your question, then we, we can't get them all every week, but, or every show. Um, let's see where to go. We had some, Oh, somebody asked, when is spring practice scheduled to, to start on time? Uh, plan right now is for March 20th. So, uh, you know, I, I think South Carolina, at least as, as much as you can be on pace right now, is on pace to start then. And, Chris, I, I had some of this in, in Carolina Confidential earlier this week, maybe worth mentioning now. I, I do think there are some, some real advantages to going a little bit later in the spring this year, we, we've seen South Carolina sort of start early. Um, it was brought to my attention with this program. It's going to be beyond important this year for South Carolina to continue to develop in the weight room, to get bigger, to get faster, to get stronger. That's, that's the case every year. We all know that, but there, there's some talent in the underclassmen ranks. We talked about how talented that 2020 class was uh, the guys that are in their second year in the program. Now, we know how much everything was affected by COVID as far as strength and conditioning last year. And um, frankly, we know that before that, there was a change in the strength and conditioning program as far as who was running it. So if you're making a change, there's generally a reason for that. So 
for, for South Carolina to take a step forward, Chris, very important for them to have a great offseason with Luke Day, who has drawn rave reviews so far. And I think, as it was brought up to me, having this opportunity, they've been there, what, a month now, a little over a month, I guess, as far as the team goes, to, to, to do strength and conditioning stuff. Now you get another month. You're not sort of splitting it up. You're not having spring practice sort of break all that apart. A full two months to focus on getting bigger, getting stronger, et cetera, I, I think could be helpful for this group. Yeah, I think there, there are a few different layers to it that make it a, a potential good move. You know, um, be, for one of the reasons you mentioned, I mean, obviously with COVID too, you know, really just threw things off in the weight room. I mean, really unfair in some ways having the expectation of these kids being these highly trained athletes when they didn't really get the opportunity to do that last year. You know, I mean, a lot of them were out on their own. So it's basically whatever they could do on their own. There was no, you know, lifting as a team for quite some time, you know, so everybody was behind the eight ball in that regard. So you're still sort of, to some degree, West, you're playing catch up with that, you know, just, just training, getting faster, getting stronger. So this gives you a, a longer lead up to that. And I think another thing that maybe won't get talked about quite as much is just sort of that lead up of, of sort of trying to set your culture. A big part of that is what you do in your weight room. You know, obviously Luke Day, he's someone that we've talked about a lot as, you know, we haven't talked as much about what his techniques are and all these different things. Those are important, right? But he, he takes a holistic approach to that too, but even more so a holistic approach to training in general. And, and that is, you know, he's really going to try to set the culture, talk about experiences, all those different things. And so this gives you a little bit more time to just maybe build that camaraderie, you know, in the off season with workouts together, with straining together, with struggling together uh, before you even hit the field. And it gives you some more time to maybe get acclimated to this new staff and the way that they do things. And, and then obviously the training part is big. So I think mentally and physically, you know, it makes a lot of sense to do it that way. And, you know, I think the other side of this, Chris, is that if you're putting together a, a new scheme, you're putting together a new um, really way of doing things on offense, defense, special teams. You've had the coaching changes. You know, we see a new running backs coach, new offensive line coach, et cetera. I think this will help as far as the coaches themselves having a little bit longer to sort of get on the same page, figure out what they want to do, and um, kind of you almost have to not coach up the coaches, but at least the coaches that are coming in are able to get comfortable with um, you know with what they're doing on um, on that side of the bar. And every, every scheme has a little different terminology, a little different approach to things, a little different uh, nuances. That if you're coming in, all these guys, and I'm, I'm thinking more offensive side of the ball right now, all these guys have played or coached in some pretty multiple offenses, you know, and that they've, they've, I mean, you look at a guy like Greg Atkins, he, he probably has been involved in every scheme under the sun. Um, you know, Eric Kimry, sharp guy, Montario Hardesty, been in several schemes and has uh, obviously played in the SEC. Um, so they can certainly do it, but it, it helps that there's a little bit of time to figure out what they want the scheme to be, and then you turn around and can actually coach it to the players as opposed to a situation where you're almost learning on the fly and trying to teach as you're learning on the fly. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's a big part of this is, you know, when, when Marcus Satterfield got into town, I mean, that one of the big questions is what is his offense going to be? Well, the coaching staff just internally could work on those concepts. Now, Satterfield obviously brought stuff with him. It's not like he walked in and said, guys, I just don't know. You know, I mean, he's got concepts with him. They can start putting those in as a staff, but this gives you more time to continue to build out the playbook, get it to the players, get things acclimated, and then you're hitting the field. It is a brand new situation, and I think it's a great point. You know, you're not learning on the fly. You're not trying to rush things. Um, now, a lot of people may hear this and say, okay, well, does that mean, you know, extra wins this year? I, I don't know. But it, we're gonna. There's a lot of different things that go into that, and it's still. I had somebody. I've had multiple people ask me to predict records already. The best and worst case. No idea. Not a cop out. Way too early. Too much to learn about this team, this staff, this team, the new faces. Obviously, there's more new faces than usual, even that are going to play prominent roles. Lots of questions about the other teams. But what we do know is, with that later start, just in terms of your prep leading up to the spring, which is going to be the first component of getting this team ready for the 21 season, you know, now you do from a mental standpoint, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, you do have some extra time. No doubt. All right. So we're about, what, 37 minutes in, probably won't be a super long show here today. Chris, um, you got anything else you want to hit on, man? Anywhere else you want to take this thing? No, just would tell people to continue looking out on GamecockCentral.com. Uh, Wes, we got a couple pretty cool rec- recruiting stories coming. I think later today, tonight, into tomorrow morning, we're going to be continuing our Inside the Class series. This sort of breaks down just how this entire class, the 21 class, was built. Some interesting stuff, some stuff we've hit on before, some that we really haven't behind the scenes, um, and some other stuff, too, just on the 21 class and the 22 class going forward. Lots of activity going on there now as they have sort of turned the page towards 2022 yeah no doubt so i appreciate everybody joining us today appreciate the show again uh talking about the brand new commitment of south carolina uh grad transfer or now a south carolina future grad transfer uh, carlin's patel who um originally from everett massachusetts everett high school and a, a defensive back listed at six foot two 190 pounds on the assumption Greyhounds website. So congrats to him on that commitment. And um, this has been GC Live. He is Chris Clark. I'm Wes Mitchell. We, of course, are brought to you, as always, by our good friend Clint Hammond of Mortgage Network. Uh, Appreciate you joining him. Appreciate you watching, listening. However it is you uh, sort of take in the show, we do appreciate it. Thanks, you all, and we will see you on Friday.